Well, good morning. I'm Rob, if we haven't met yet, and I'd love to be your friend, because I just believe that the world is full of people that I haven't met that are probably going to be my friends. So, a uh, little bit about me. That's all I'll say about me. But it, I think if you ask any Minnesotan what they love about living here, they will answer with something to the effect of, oh, seriously, you're just, yay for you, winter. I'm like, that's not where I was going at all. No, I do like winter, but usually people say something like June, July, August, or going to the lake. I can't, I love going to the lake. There's few people at the lake. Or, oh, it's those long days, you know, these three weeks or so around June 21st that we were just at my parents' house up in northern, up north there, yeah, and uh, we, saw the, we saw these sunsets that happened at nearly 10 o'clock at night, and, you know, the sun rises at about 5, 16 in the morning, and for a couple weeks, it's just glorious, and then I start to get a little tired, but these long days that we get to have, so you could have the long days, you could have the bright, the bright um, days, you could have going to the lake, you could have sitting at a campfire where there's no city lights and all you see are the stars that you can't even imagine counting. Or people like Rebecca, winter. <laughs> now, I love, I love the beaches of Minnesota and the lakes of Minnesota in the winters of Minnesota, but uh, I found out there's this place in England uh, if you're a, a map nerd, uh, it's the southwest tip by Land's End. I didn't even know that was a place. But anyway, Cornwall, England, has this beach called Lego Beach. Have you guys heard of Lego Beach before? Nobody? Okay, one, two of you. Lego Beach is a real place, and uh, if you go there, you can go on any given day, after a little bit of digging in the sand, you will find real Lego pieces. Because way back in February of 1997, there was a Japanese container ship that was about 20 miles off the coast of Cornwall, and it was carrying a ton of stuff bound for New York, and there was this storm that it got caught up in, and in this storm there was this once in every hundred years wave that hit this ship causing it to tip 60 degrees one way and then 40 degrees back the other way. And that kind of corkscrew motion sent 62 of these giant steel shipping containers hurling into the sea. One of those was filled with Lego pieces. As in uh, 4,800,000 Lego pieces. And no one knows like exactly what happened next or what even happened to the other 62 contain or 61 containers. But just a few days after this, all of a sudden, on the beaches, especially the north coast, but both sides, all the beaches of Cornwall, like Lego pieces just started showing up on the beach. I mean, and if it was like a sick twist of fate. There were hundreds of thousands of these Lego pieces that were nautical themed. 
like pirate swords and scuba gear and life vests and flippers, and I'm not making this up, and spear guns and seagrass. So just a few of the things. Oh, and witches' brooms and little flowers. And anyway, so this, uh, I mean, 4,800,000 Lego. We do not have that many Lego in our house, but we do, I mean, we do have a few probably 1,000 pieces. I don't even know if I can conceptualize 4,800,000 Lego pieces. Free. All you have to do is dig them up on the beach. And check this one out. This is like a black dragon from the beach that someone found. I've never even seen that before, but there were, there were several. There were thousands of those. What goes into the ocean <laughs> like, has to come out. And, and this stuff just shows up on the beach. Every, there's this lady named Tracy Williams who was one of the first to discover Lego Beach in the late 1990s. And here's a picture of some of her loot. She's created a whole Facebook page and like, hey, who else from England has found this stuff? And, you know, she found this octopus. Oh, there's only been three found and she found one of them. And it was like this cave off in Devlin, which is a little ways away. Anyway, we could go on and on. But here's the crazy part. She moved away in the early 2000s. And, and she started the Facebook page. She moved away, and she goes, you know, she moved back in 2010, and she was being interviewed for this story, and she said, you know, I guess I kind of forgot about Lego Beach when I moved away. Why is it so easy to forget? I mean, anything. And I can't even judge Tracy for doing this because in the middle of February when it's frigid and overcast, all of a sudden I forget like the glorious long days of Minnesota or the beaches that are actually clean or the water that's refreshing or those starry nights where you can sit out with like the lightest of jackets by a roaring campfire. I love winter, but I forget those good things. Why is it so easy to forget? I sat this week with uh, a couple 20-year-old friends, brother, sister, and they were sitting by the bedside of uh, their mom, who's like barely in her 50s and dying of cancer, and passed away yesterday. And in the midst of that, there was a few moments where they were sharing good things but there were a lot of moments of silence where their, their, their heads were down and it was like they forgot the good things. I think when we're in those moments of pain, we can forget the good things. When someone we love is hurting, we can forget the good things. When, when I'm getting stressed out about something that I really don't need to get stressed out about, we can for, I can forget the good things. I was talking with another family who was moving, and I said, what, did you, what do you want to bring into this house that you want to, that from the old house? And then flipped it and said, now what do you not want to bring into this house? And the dad said, I don't want to bring anger into this house. He was saying, when I get angry, I forget. What is it? It causes you to forget. 
So this new teaching series called Behind the Music is designed to help you and me and the average Jane or Joe to understand what worship is and how it can affect our whole life. And, and if you're not a singer, praise God, it goes way beyond, way beyond singing songs. Um, that's part of it, but it goes way beyond that. Jesus says in John 4, he says he's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth, that that's who God is looking for, to worship him in spirit and truth. I got to admit, the first 10 times I heard that or read that, I really didn't know what it meant, to worship God in spirit and truth. Even today, I have days where I struggle with what it means to worship him in spirit and truth. But if you brought a Bible or you have a Bible app that you use, turn to Psalm 148, because this talks about what worship is, a piece of what worship is, and how we can do it, and why we do it. And through this series, we'll continue to explore these different aspects of worship. Psalm 148 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest, in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the ocean depths, lightning and hail and snow and clouds and stormy winds that do all his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And he has raised up for his people a horn, a praise of all his faithful servants, of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. God, as we read this text, would it read us? God, would you teach us what you're saying through this, this poem, this psalm, this song? and what it means to praise you. Amen. Well, if, you are, if you're a word lover, or if you're a poem lover, then you would love this psalm, because it's like this beautifully crafted piece of art. It's got this first half that talks about praise that comes from the heavens and the supernatural and in the natural, and then the second half has this praise coming from the earth. And the words that are described and the phrases that are described are reflecting what happened in Genesis 1 when God created the earth, days 1 through 7-ish. We'll get there at the end about what that means. But those days of creation and how he created, it's reflective of that. And notice the details that he includes about people. As he sweeps through the, 
the heights of heaven and the things of the earth and in the earth and above the earth, he gets really specific about people. Notice the people of power, wealth, and status, they're included as people who praise the name of the Lord. And then the all nations, the people without power, wealth, or status, they're included in praising God. The young and the old are included. The men and the women are included. Even children who at the time were never included are included. It's like the author is trying to make sure that everything and everyone is included. In fact, the word all, if you were to go and count, is used 10 times. That's significant. It's like a code in the Bible. We'll talk about it some other time, but it means it's complete and God was in it. It's suggesting that everything that lives or breathes or moves praises God. And yet, rather than just assume that everyone's going to praise God because that's just what people do, the author actually gives reasons for why those things praise God. At the end of the heavens, it describes it in verses 5 and 6 about this fact that God created and originated and controls everything. And at the end of the second half, it talks about this glory that God has that that he reflects through people. And that really gets at the definition of worship. To give reasons is to ascribe value to something or someone. The Latin phrase worth-ship is where the word worship comes from. It's to give worth to something, or as I like to say it, to see God's worth and then to give him what he's worth. That's what worship is. It's not just recognizing it, it's responding to it. So it's not just agreeing with these truths from God or this believing in the Bible. It's recognizing the infinite power and value that God has and then responding to that value. I think the psalm is suggesting that God is deserving of all of creation's praise. And we'll spend a few minutes talking about why I think actually all of creation is already praising God. It's just this one peculiar species, humans, that seem to not praise God well. It's like, One of these kids is doing their own thing, if you remember that 80s child song, but no one does. That's okay. It actually gets at the point we're out of tune with our worship of God. It's like me when I try to sing and clap on the beat. If you've ever watched me in this little church plan adventure, it's a little painful for the people who actually are gifted in it, but I can do usually do one or the other, but not both at the same time. The few times that I can, it's because someone next to me is incredibly good at it. And I can match pitch with them and match beat with them. And, and humanity needs that in their worship. Just like I need that in the singing, we need people who understand 
the rhythm of what it means to worship God, not just singing, but our whole lives, every day of our everyday lives next to us because we get out of tune. We get out of tune so easy that we need help. And I think that this prompts two actions that can get us back in tune with God. The first action for helping us get back in tune with worshiping God is to see God's worth. They're not, they're not rocket science actions. They're actually very simple actions. They're just not easy actions. To see God's worth, and I think we get out of tune because we just don't see well. As this psalmist, remember, this is written, what, 3,000 years ago probably, and this psalmist is able to describe things in the heavens that we still don't understand, talking about the heavenly realm, the supernatural realm, but also then talking about the waters above the sky, like somehow the ancient people knew that the stars were there and that the sun and the moon were there and that there were things beyond that that they just called the waters because they didn't understand it. But praise rings out from that. So if we can start by looking up. So scientists say there's now more stars in the known universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches and deserts of the earth. I mean, that's way more than 4,800,000 Lego. Every grain of sand on every beach and desert in the world, there's more stars in the known universe. I mean, that's millions and billions of reasons that we could praise God. Now, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, and here's a hundred, like hundreds of images that have been compiled mostly by the Hubble telescope to construct what they think, they're pretty confident that the Milky Way galaxy looks like. I don't know if anyone's seen a picture like that before, but it's going to feel a little bit like school for a second. So... Uh, Minnesota is about 400 miles across, but miles stop working in space, okay? Except, like, I think the sun is 93 million miles from Earth, and the sun's light travels to Earth in about eight minutes. I think I remember that from school. Because light travels at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. That's moving. 186,000 miles per second, the sun's light takes eight minutes to reach Earth. And if you were to take the amount of time that light can travel in a year at 186,000 miles a second, then you get the measurement that scientists use to measure space, light years. Not buzz, but actual distances. So 186,000 miles per second, over a year, if you want to do the math, you can check. I I think I'm right, though. 5.88 trillion miles light travels in a year. One light year. I can't even comprehend that number. And that's the base measurement unit that scientists use to measure the galaxies. If you were to take the Milky Way galaxy, which is where we live, and you were to travel across this little metropolis, kind of like, you know, deciding to go north-south or east-west for the 
you know, Twin Cities metropolis. If you were to travel across this little metropolis called the Milky Way galaxy, traveling in a ship that could travel at light speed, it would take you 100,000 light years to get across it. Pretty sure we're not going to see 100 years old for most of us. We'd never make it. I was trying to explain this to my kids, and they're like, well, what if you had babies on that ship? You'd have to have a lot. You'd have to bring a lot of families. Let's just put it that way. Now, our solar system is one little cluster of planets with a star that we call the sun. And in case you're wondering where our solar system is in the Milky Way galaxy, scientists think it's right there. I'm sure you can all see it. I'll just go up to the screen here. So, yeah, right there. And if you're wondering why, it's very hard to see. If you were to shrink the Milky Way galaxy down to the size of the continental North American, the North American continent, so shrink the Milky Way galaxy to fit in the North America, and you were to do the same proportion to the solar system, it would be the size of a quarter. Okay? The Earth looks like it's about this big when it's compared to the sun. And all of a sudden, our entire solar system that, that we haven't even traveled through with humans, some, you know, robots have gone out to the reaches, but we haven't even gotten through our solar system, and it's the size of a quarter. Do you feel a little small? Because we are. We are. And that's okay. But all that we see and actually don't see yet was created at the voice of God. At his voice. In the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 40, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. So the prophet said, look up to the heavens. Who created all the stars? Who brings them out like an army, one after another, after another, calling each of them by its name? Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. I mean, we're supposed to have this solar eclipse, August 21st of this year, and NASA released this video, and they're talking about, like, if you're in the path of totality across the United States, make sure that you wear eclipse glasses when you look at the sun. You know that someone did this. This is why they have to tell us this, right? Like, do not wear sunglasses. It won't protect it. Put on the eclipse glasses. The only time it is safe, this is what NASA says, the only time it's safe to look at the sun without eclipse glasses on is that few moments if you are in the path of totality where the moon completely covers the sun with the exception of like this tiny little retina. That's the only time we can look at the sun. And the sun is merely this tiny little ball that God created. And yet, if we stare at it without the proper protection, we will die. Or we'll burn up our eyes. We won't die. We'll burn up our eyes. We don't understand the power and the worth that God has. 
We don't see well. Yeah, all we have to do is look up. Second action we can take to be brought back into worshiping God every day is to stop and see God's worth. I think we're out of tune because we don't stop well. We don't see well, but we don't stop well. When, when the psalmist is talking about praising the Lord from all the earth, he, he gives these creatures from above and below and around And he's challenging us, I think it's a he who wrote it, but he's challenging us to look around and see all that there is that points to God. For example, scientists now say that they have described 1.7 million different species of plants, animals, algae, that stuff. Mammals are like the smallest species with only 6,000 known members. But yet, in every category... Insects have like a million. But in every category, every year, scientists are discovering new species of stuff. Like stuff is going extinct, but stuff is being discovered all the time. In fact, in the places like the depths of the ocean, which we've hardly even begun to explore, there are countless more species to identify. So this animal was discovered last year. It's this little octopod, two and a half miles below the ocean surface near Hawaii. Check out the video that we're about to see and listen to the scientists talk about it. It's hilarious. Beautiful image here. Different than the two we got on video last year. That animal is not in the hurl guide. <laughs> yeah. the immortal words of Taylor Smith, I have never, like ever, seen that one. <laughs> Excellent. I know somebody is going to be really interested in this image. And this octopus is now confusing several of our uh, shore-based scientists who have never seen anything like this. I have never, like, ever, ever seen that animal before. That's... They said they were like little kids discovering something for the first time. And sometimes, and I don't know, talk to me after if you want to know more details about that. Because the point is that, I mean, sometimes I wonder, there's not a point. It's just sometimes I wonder. (laughs) Yeah, there wasn't anything profound other than when I sit around and go, like, why did God create the duck-billed platypus? or this, or, you know, blue whales, or the narwhal, like, or this guy. I just go, you know, because he could. And I honestly think that that simple answer is probably true. That the universe and the things on the earth may not even have reason for us other than they display the glory, the creativity, and the power of this God. And if we realized how small we were and that he still cares about us, we would also realize how great he is and it would be so much easier to worship him. But often we don't stop and we don't see. If you look at the elements of nature that are spoken about, the lightning, the hail, the snow, the clouds, the winds, like all of these things cause immense destruction and yet... They're called acts of God. You can even like write that in as a, 
a reason on an insurance claim. I don't know if you've done that before. Like, I got hail damage. Yeah, it's an act of God. It, that even points to God. Or when you go to the mountains or you look at canyons or valleys, people who, even, who don't even consciously worship God, they will say, there is something sacred about this place. Sacred means close to God. So why don't we stop well? Because I don't think you can, I don't think worship can start if you can't stop. I know that's pretty profound, but I have reason to back it up. So last thing we do before we close with a song and pray, Genesis chapter 2. There's a reason that I say I don't think worship can start if we can't stop. Because at the beginning of Genesis, it talks about how God created. And it's interesting, if you go look for the word holy, holy meaning sacred, holy meaning set apart for God, you don't find it in creation. You don't find it with God. You don't find it with people. You don't find it with what he created. You find him saying that these things are all good. Creation is good. God is good. Reproducing life is good. Humans are good. But none of them are called holy until day seven. What's created on day seven? Anyone can answer. Nothing was created on day seven. But, you know, Mike's right. Rest is what God did on day seven. But rest isn't because he's exhausted. He's God. Infinite power. Rest is this word in Hebrew that's Shabbat that means to cease or to stop. It's where we get the word Sabbath. And if you listen to the order of this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work. God had seen, God had seen all that was, he had made, and it was very good. And when it was complete, when everything was as it should be, God stopped from all his work. Then God blessed and made it holy because he stopped from all the work. If you don't stop, you won't be able to see. Why is it hard to remember? Why is it hard to worship God with more of our lives? because it's so hard to stop. And yet, even God stopped. And that's what made it holy. And when we can stop, then we can see. And then things are made holy, meaning we recognize the presence of God in the midst of it. And I believe that will make us the worshipers that God is looking for. Those ones that can worship in spirit and truth because this psalm ends with not only does God do all that, not only is he this great, but he even looks out for people. 
In the Psalm 8, it says that God made people a little lower than angels. So you might think that, well, then if the angels worship well, we should worship just a little bit lower than them. But yet, God knows that we're not good at our worship, and he loves us anyway. In fact, he provided a way for us to have relationship with him. And when we mess that up, he provided another way for us to have relationship with him. And when we mess that up, he provided another way to have relationship with him. And when we mess that up, he actually sent his son for us to give his life so that we could have relationship with him, so that we could be restored in that. That's why God is so amazing that he continues to reach out to us even though we're the tiniest part of his universe. So that's the invitation to stop. It's not to do anything. It's the invitation to be and to be with him. Could you take five or ten minutes this week, every day, to stop and see God's worth and then respond with what he's worth, to praise him for who he is and to thank him for what he has done. Not complicated, but we got to choose. Would you pray with me? Mm. Father God, thank you for the displays of your glory in the heavens. Thank you for the displays of your glories in the earth. All creation does point to you Even scientists are baffled. And God, we would be awestruck if we stopped and we saw. I praise you for the moments that we do, but God, I readily acknowledge the moments in my life where I don't. And I know I'm not alone. So God, would you use places like Lego Beach, the images of this octopod, the every night that we see the sun or the stars, or the moon. God, would you remind us that you're giving us treasures to find on the shores of our lives every single day. Help us to stop and see. God, we praise you for who you are. The fact that you sent your son that no one deserved to be in relationship with you because we've done wrong, but you invite us to relationship with you through your son, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his invitation to life. God, we want that invitation to life. God, and if we are people who are people who have such a hard time stopping, would we hear your gentle voice that simply invites us to consider you. You're not harsh and demanding. You're a good father. You're an amazing creator. And you have infinite worth. May we give our lives to you.